We have lots of election stuff for you on today's program, but the State of the Race podcast has even more as we go forward. It's going to be the place to get all the election info that you need in little bite-sized chunks in the mornings. Uh, Stu does America audio feed only, uh, so make sure you go there wherever you get your podcast. If you haven't checked out our sportscaster skit yet on YouTube, make sure you do that. YouTube.com slash Stu does America. I think you'll like it quite a bit. This one is Israel versus Hamas. How would the mainstream media cover that battle? Well, you've seen it in real life. This one's only slightly more crazy, but make sure to uh, like the video and uh, follow the page. Click the bell for notifications on the page while you're there. Dan Andros joins me to brainstorm some executive orders that could be useful. Mitch McConnell announces an end to his tenure as Senate Minority Leader. We'll go over the latest, but we start by doing the 2024 Michigan primary. And I guess we should probably, I mean, I kind of mentioned some of the big news stories and we should probably get to the biggest one of the group um, before we get into anything else. Marianne Williamson is unsuspending her campaign. Yes, it's happening. This is the exact path I told you would occur many, many months ago. Marianne Williamson would fall behind reignite her campaign. The oils, the crystals come together for a force that cannot be denied and she wins the presidency. That's uh, that's what's going to happen. You know, mark my words or uh, don't. Um, so, yes, that is maybe the second biggest story of the day. The biggest maybe is Mitch McConnell uh, stepping down Senate minority leader in November. Uh, he's uh, now look, we've called for him to step down uh, many times and not even really performance based uh, on that. I mean, like you can certainly argue for his performance. You, you don't wouldn't want him as Republican leader. Um, but frankly, uh, it's about his health. He you know, when you have moments where you just pause in the middle of a complete sentence and, and can't finish that sentence and you start, start uh, kind of stop talking in the middle and can't say anything for 45 seconds uh, multiple times in front of cameras should not be Senate minority leader. No. No, 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 no. That's nuts. And so he's stepping down. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, the longest serving Senate party leader in history, said Wednesday he will step down from his leadership role in November after almost two decades atop the Republican caucus. One of life's most underappreciated talents is to know when it's time to move on to life's next chapter. Think about that quote for a second. That's what uh, uh, McConnell said in his prepared remarks. So I stand before you today to say that this will be my last term as a Republican leader of the Senate. Let me repeat that for you one more time. One of life's most underappreciated talents is to know when it's time to move on to life's next chapter. Now, of course, this is about Mitch McConnell stepping down and we can go through his legacy at some point in the future, perhaps. Some there's some good in there, uh, some not so good. But the point is really the message he sends with his exit statement. It's pretty clear. You notice something a little bit more than just saying, hey, I'm stepping down. No, he's saying it's a talent to understand when it's time to step down. And it is, of course, this is 100% true. How many times have you seen that star athlete, uh, you know, in the last year of a long contract and they're too slow and they can't really do anything anymore and it's like sad to watch them out there. You know, that's the, you know, I, I don't know if Mitch McConnell was ever the star athlete in, in that comparison, but, you know, you start slowing down. It's kind of notable that the main criticism of the Democratic candidate right now is the same exact thing, right? And, and this is, of course, Joe Biden in the middle of uh, this go story going on today. Biden to undergo an annual physical exam on Wednesday. And this was an interesting pitch of this because it came out, it was not on his schedule. Uh, it, was, it was not 
mentioned beforehand. Um, now, some uh, people have speculated the reason they haven't mentioned this beforehand is because he's been getting a lot of uh, pro-Palestinian protesters wherever he goes. And so they're trying not to give out his location in advance all that often. It's an odd problem, and we're going to get into that a little bit more here in a second. Um, but uh, it is a little bit odd. In the way the New York Post kind of characterized it was unexpected trip to Walter Reed. I don't know if it rises to that level either. We will see if there's anything more than just the physical. But Dan McLaughlin put, uh, points out something really interesting that maybe the Democrats should think about. Nancy Pelosi turns 82, steps down from leadership. Mitch McConnell turns 82, steps down from leadership. Anthony Kennedy turns 82, leaves Supreme Court. Joe Biden turns 82 and asks for another four-year term starting, beginning at 82. Hmm. Interesting. Well, that was one problem, and that is one problem. I talked about this on radio today. Maybe we'll get into this in a future show of, as to whether they should try to swap uh, Joe Biden out, even if it is for Kamala Harris, somebody who could at least solve this age problem for them. We'll get into that maybe later. But the Michigan primary was yesterday. And I will tell you this, and I've mentioned this before, this has been a real bore fest of a primary on both sides. Now, we knew it was going to be a bore fest on the Democratic side because it's, it's incumbent president. There's not really a real challenger there. No, the one-time RFK Jr. hit 20% in one poll does not count. There's never a serious uh, chance that he was going to get knocked off in the actual primary. Now, him having health problems, him being tossed out for other reasons, certainly possible. But as far as losing a primary, you just don't lose primaries as an incumbent president and thing, unless things are much, much uglier even than they are today. Um, but the, the, the Republican primary has been a bore. You know, if you kind of remember back into like when I was growing up, you know, in the let's say the 80s, there are all, it felt like a lot of Super Bowls in a row that were just blowouts. Like, they just weren't good games, you know? Like, it would be like, you know, the Redskins and, and Broncos, and it would, it would be like, yeah, blowouts. And it felt like all the way up until, gosh, I don't know. You know, I don't know, the early 2000s, maybe late 90s, where before we really started getting close Super Bowls again. I mean, maybe after that Cowboys run, you started to see games get tighter. And, and since then, there's been mostly good Super Bowls. But those Super Bowls of the, the 80s, where it would be like, the, you know, the, the, the Bears would win 46 to 10. You know, like there was just a lot of games like that. And it felt like you, you'd watch the first quarter and then you'd be, you know, you're kind of out to lunch for the rest of the game. That's what the that's the situation has been in this primary. It's been a bore fest. I mean, it's like it's, you know, it was... It was exciting for the first week, and then it's been basically nothing. Um, there was a little intrigue, though, on the Democratic side in uh, Michigan. Why? Well, you know, as you know, Joe Biden is super pro-Israel. I don't know. We're supposed to believe that suddenly. And um, because he's so pro-Israel in Michigan, which has a large uh, Palestinian and Arab American and Somali and all these different groups uh, that you know, really are on the side of uh, Gaza and Hamas in this particular arrangement, uh, they decided they were going to come out and vote uncommitted. Trump and Biden won Michigan, but uncommitted votes demand attention. And, you know, it's interesting when you think about that, like, how do you can you get rid of him for anybody? I don't know. I mean, I, I, at this point, if this is a serious problem, what would you do? Go to Michelle Obama. Of course, Glenn says that. And Jason Buttrell says that. And Dan Andrews says that. And Bill O'Reilly says that. And too many others to make me uncomfortable about my bet say that. But Michelle Obama, also CPAC is saying it. Michelle Obama emerges as the CPAC poll winner. Um, but when you're talking about the problems with Joe Biden 
you know, age is really the concern. These votes here are concerning, but are they concerning in the, in the right way when you're talking about a, a conservative? Because if you're a conservative, you're saying, okay, hey, Joe Biden's getting bad poll results. People are upset with him. That's good news. And most of the time it is. But I wonder if it is here. Now, these Democratic groups were hoping to get to about 20,000. There's estimates all over the place, but uh, some of these groups said they wanted to get 20,000 uncommitted votes to send a message to Joe Biden. What did they get? Well, a lot more than that, 101,000 uncommitted votes. Now, Joe Biden still got 81.1% of the vote. He's in no danger of leaving this, uh, losing this race. But Still, 100,000 votes is a lot of votes. It's more than they thought they would get. By the way, notice this. Uh, the craziest thing here, I mentioned Marianne Williamson restarted her campaign after this. It might, this might be why. She got 22,706 votes for 3%. Dean Phillips, who's still in the race, got 20,465. Uh, how can you lose to Marianne Williamson, who's not even in the race? That is as wild as a result. I mean, poor Dean Phillips. He's got to go back and just sulk in his Talenti gelata, which, by the way, pretty freaking good. I'm going to say it. It's pretty freaking good. Michigan's uncommitted vote is sounding an alarm for Biden, uh, says Axios. Um, and I don't know. Is this true? Rashida Tlaib thinks so. She says she was proud to vote uncommitted in the Michigan primary, and she had more to say going after uh, Joe Biden. And she's been pretty consistent on this issue. She is an ideologue when it comes to the pro-Hamas side of this argument. And here she is making her case. Everyone, it's Rashida. I was proud today to walk in and pull a Democratic ballot and vote uncommitted. We must protect our democracy. We must make sure that our government is about us about the people. When 74% of Democrats in Michigan support a ceasefire, yet President Biden is not hearing us, this is the way we can use our democracy to say, listen, listen to Michigan, listen to the families right now that have been directly impacted, but also listen to the majority of Americans who are saying enough, no more wars, no more using our dollars to fund a genocide, no more. As a person who has a wife who requires him to shoot her on Instagram, um, you know, 40 to 50 times a day, the proper angle is down. You don't want to be shooting up your nose when, you, when you're holding the phone. Don't shoot it. Don't have it low and shooting up your nose. You don't want to see people don't want to see your nostrils. You know, shoot down a little higher than you down uh, towards your face. It's a better look. Just so you know, in the future, Rashida. Um, now, here's the thing. It's nice to see turmoil on the left if you happen to be someone who cares about the country and are conservative in, in this moment. It's good to see that. You want to see turmoil. You want to see uh, disruption on the left. You want to see them not as a cohesive unit. I mean, look, Rashida Tlaib, for all of her flaws, really does believe this stuff. I mean, she's insane to believe it, but she believes it, and she's sticking to it. A lot of times you'll see Democrats kind of just fold under the party pressure. And so it's good to see these fractures. I'm not saying it's not. But conservatives should be wary about counting their chickens uh, before the eggs hatch here. Because if you look at the weakness of the Democrats and Joe Biden, a lot of it is based on people like Rashida Tlaib, who is critical of Joe Biden's Israel position. Um, now, if it was a border call, like you know, the Gallup poll came out, Biden's border invasion is Americans' number one worry. And that is a really encouraging sign because this is something he's directly responsible for and has been horrible on over and over and over and over again. And so that's real strength. That's foundational strength on a major issue. 
But when you're talking about young voters, and you're talking about Arab American voters, you're talking about liberal, far left AOC type voters. Do you really think they're not going to come to Joe Biden at the end? Do you really think they're not going to come to whatever the Democratic candidate is at the end? Think, think of this person in November. Right now, some 22-year-old is out there protesting pro-Gaza, go Hamas, yay Hamas. And then it comes down to voting for either Joe Biden, who has, by the way, not even been good on this issue when it comes to Israel. He's been better than Rashida Tlaib, but he's not been good. He's been, in my view, terrible, but in their view, I mean, like, he's been calling out Israel. He has not been super pro-Israel in this situation. And a 22-year-old who is critical of that position because they don't like uh, Rashida, because uh, they, they don't like uh, Joe Biden's position on Israel, are they really going to Donald Trump? Who is that person? Do you know that person? And now, you might find 22-year-olds who are for Donald Trump for a bunch of different reasons. Maybe it's the border. Maybe it's the economy. Those people, I think you can look at it and say, eh, maybe they are real. But because of their skepticism of Joe Biden's Israel position, I mean, all Joe Biden has to do is become just a dash more anti-Semitic and he'll probably get most of those people back. And of course, he knows this and he's going to do it at some point during this campaign. Now, Cornell West or Jill Stein or RFK Jr. may get and peel off a few votes from the Democrats. But will that be enough? Will that really be enough in this election? You know, the Biden administration is trying to put, push through this Israel funding right now. They do seem to believe it's important uh, as, long as, the, as well as the Ukraine funding. And right now is not the time for Joe Biden to turn against Israel because he needs to get this funding through. But if he gets this funding through or the funding just dies, whatever, whenever this issue is behind him, he's going to feel free to play to that left flank and please those voters with his words. He will say that, you know, he might not go to the point where they're gonna say, he's gonna say a genocide, but he will go to a place that will make them comfortable enough, certainly to choose Joe Biden over Donald Trump. Donald Trump is pro-Israel. Donald Trump, for all the accusations that he's this big anti-Semite, has done more for that region than anybody in a long time. Certainly way more than Joe Biden, unless your definition of doing something for Israel is lighting it on fire. So. Here's the situation. Be skeptical of the strength of Donald Trump right now. Maybe it pans out. It'll be great. Maybe it'll pan out. But I will say, right now he leads in the Real Clear Politics average by two points. And this is with all of the problems that have happened with Joe Biden and weakness among young voters and far left voters that probably come back to him when November and Trump has been on their television for six months. We will see if that's true. By the way, Donald Trump did win easily over Nikki Haley, 68 to 27. No problems there. You know, Haley is probably going to drop out after Super Tuesday. A lot of people keep saying, well, what is the point of staying in? Why would you possibly stay in at this point if you're Nikki Haley? And I think that's a good question. I just think the reverse is also a good question. Why would you drop out? You've already burned all your bridges with the MAGA crowd. You're already there basically as a protest candidate. You have Super Tuesday just a few days away. Why not stick through Super Tuesday and just see what happens? There's no real downside for her. And honestly, I don't think there's much of a downside for Donald Trump. You know, Donald Trump doesn't have to campaign to beat Nikki Haley at this point. He should go to states like Michigan that serve a dual purpose, right? Like that are good states for him to, uh, to uh, campaign in for the general election. 
but then also may maybe give him a little bit of benefit in uh, this secondary situation. But he should be going to purple states on Super Tuesday, the states he needs to go to and win in November, not worrying all that much about whether Nikki Haley is going to be competitive or not. It's not a big deal. She'll get some delegates, but she's never going to, I don't think, win five states and, and become any sort of threat to Donald Trump at the convention. This, what we have here, boys and girls, is not a primary. What we have here is a couple of candidates who have basically won their primaries and have protest vote opposition. And there's nothing wrong with protest vote opposition, but it's not something that should derail the conversation either way. It's not really a big deal that Nikki Haley stays in the race, and it's not really a big deal that Donald Trump has to beat her handily in state after state after state. This shouldn't be, I mean, unless Donald Trump plays this in some stupid way, which it does not appear that he is, this shouldn't harm his, uh, shouldn't harm his resources, and it shouldn't harm his campaign in 2024. His focus really needs to be on purple states and winning those uh, tight states, and also, of course, focusing on his legal troubles and making sure those come out in a way that, you know, they don't throw him in a gulag. That's a whole another uh, series he has to deal with, but it is something that is uh, far more important than whether, you know, worrying whether Nikki Haley stays in the race or drops out after another week. It's just frankly not all that important. Do you remember a time when vital medications didn't get rationed in the United States? <laughs> I do, like my whole life, I feel like. It used to be something that happened in other countries, like North Korea, but not here. Unfortunately, things just aren't that way anymore, and this is one reason you need to have one Jace case on hand, I would say, for every member of your family, if you can do that. It's a personalized emergency medication kit that contains five essential antibiotics, which treat the most common and deadly bacterial infections. It's customizable. They have dozens of add-on medications available, so you can choose the ones that best fit you and your family's needs. Uh, you can get gift cards as well. Like, let's say you don't, you know, maybe your kids have grown up and they live across the country. You know, maybe a little add-on present for a birthday or Christmas. It's just like, hey, you just just keep this around. Throw it in a closet. Don't worry about it. You never have to think about it again. Just, just in case something happens, you have it. Jace is simple. You go online, you fill out a form, and you get the prescription. You get the life-saving medications delivered right to your door. The Jace case gives you peace of mind so that you're not just hoping to have access to medication in an emergency. You know you have it. It's right there. It's in the closet. Uh, hopefully, you remember where your dad told you to put it. Go to jacemedical.com. Jacemedical.com. Enter the code STU at checkout for a discount on your order. The promo code is STU at jacemedical.com. J-A-S-E Medical. Dot com. It's the Jace case from Jace Medical. I'm joined now by Dan Andros. He's the managing editor at CBN News and host of CBN's Quick Start podcast, which you can subscribe to wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, Dan, thanks so much for coming on the program. All right. Thanks for having me. I know you talk about a lot of important things on the Quick Start podcast, and I want to make sure it's clear this segment is not going to have any of those important things included okay. in it. Um, <laughs> it's important to understand. Um, good, good. But uh, we kind of started this off, uh, we were talking off the air about a couple of different things. We talk sports a lot. This is actually, we grew up together, and, and this is basically what we did for fun all the time. Um, and we were talking about some of the different uh, professional sports leagues and some of the weaknesses that they had and how we, of course, know all the solutions to solve. But we're, we're there. We've got the solutions already pre-built. We can fix all these leagues, and no one will listen to us. And that's when we decided to name ourselves uh, president of all sports. And uh, so that's what we are now. We're the president of all sports. 
And we decided to come up with some executive orders that would solve major problems that we see in sports. And I, like, I just want to, can I just throw in here? We're going to do this for a much lower salary than like a Roger Goodell, right? I, mm-hmm. I'll take like three million per sport, something like that. I mean, wow. we're fixing your sport, so I, the, the discount I think is reasonable. It's very, I will say, incredibly generous uh, by you to uh, to allow this to happen. It's it's funny because most of the sports rules changes right now are like, how do we let dudes play against women? Like that's like, (laughs) that's for whatever reason what all these sports leagues are actually coming up with. And I feel like that's maybe not the best focus of our time. Um, So. We, we have some uh, proposals put together here. We're going to throw them at you, and you let us know. You can let us know in the comments if you approve of them or not. We should be clear, though, because these are executive orders, you get no input in it. That's right. how our system works in this country. Yeah. Um, we're built on a system of executive orders uh, put in by fiat. And you, as a human being and a voter and a citizen in this country, have no voice whatsoever in whether these things happen or not. That's, uh, that's fair, right, guys? Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, all right. Let me give you. Uh, so why don't we start out with we have each have three proposals we brought to the table. I actually came up with more, but I'm just going to save the rest for a future segment. Okay. Because um, yeah. we have so we have three proposals each that will fix the world of sports or improve it in some way. Dan, why don't you start us off? All right. Yeah. My first executive order here, Stu, is no D, then you play me. Okay. And this is an executive <laughs> order to fix the NBA All Star Game. And so if anyone watched it and I watched uh, a few moments, however much I could stomach where they, you know, there's never any defense in an all-star game, but they at least would play like one-on-one, right? Like you're not going to help. If you blow by your guy, like nobody's coming in to foul you on that, right? You just get the dunk, mm-hmm. but they would at least play one-on-one. It make, it would make it interesting. And then the last couple minutes of the game, they would play hard. Now they just walk up and down the court. No one tries at all. If they don't even pretend to try, which is just ridiculous. So so my no D, then you play me rule is we bring in Joes off the street. We have a raffle, right? Like we have some sort of drawing and we we bring in average Joes because who can't play? Like I could play in that NBA All-Star game. I could chuck up a few threes and probably make some. I could probably score 10 or 15 in a game like that, mm-hmm. you know, out of shape and everything else. But <laughs> but would that not be more entertaining to see somebody, just a random Joe, like, hey, let's see if uh, – Dan from Pennsylvania can get the MVP of the NBA All-Star game. <laughs> I like it. And I think like there would be really fun moments where the NBA player would actually try for a second and yeah, it would look and hilarious. Yeah, you get destroyed. <laughs> right, yeah. So this yeah. is like it'd be, it'd be entertaining. It'd be entertaining. It would do something because I watched the All-Star game too, uh, unfortunately. And I, I was talking to my son about it as we were watching it and I said, "You know, this seems like they're not playing any defense, but like once they get to the fourth quarter, you could see them try. They'll, they'll start kicking it into gear. Right. Their competitive instincts will kick in. Their competitive instincts it. are dead. They do not exist <laughs> anymore, apparently. And it was just embarrassing. Even in the fourth quarter, they were just letting people blow, blow by them for wide-open dunks. So I like yeah. this. I, any, any change to the All-Star game, I think, is an improvement at this point. Yeah. You know, We need to do something, like global warming at this point with the All-Star game. It's really, really bad. Um, okay, so that's proposal number one from Dan. My proposal number one. I, I'm following your lead here on the All-Star game. And let me give you the current situation. The current situation is uh, February 8th of this year was the NBA trade deadline. Okay. Uh, now, what's happening on February 8th? Well, you know, you've got the February 8th trade deadline. Then a few days later, February 11th is the Super Bowl. And then February 18th this year was the All-Star game. Now, 
here's what happens. You're getting hyped up for the Super Bowl. Everyone's paying attention to the Super Bowl. And then, like, I, I can tell you it happened. On the plane to Las Vegas this year, the NBA trade deadline happened. Like, I wasn't thinking about basketball at all or paying attention to it at all at that point. The NBA trade deadline happens. Then you have the Super Bowl. Everyone's focused on that. And then you have this open period, and all you have to fill it is the NBA All-Star game where there's a bunch of days where there's no sports going on at all unless you happen to be a hockey fan. There's basically nothing going on around the NBA All-Star game. That's a stupid way of structuring this. So this is my proposal. I'm calling it the NBA Timeline Shift Initiative. And what we're going to do is we're going to flip-flop the NBA trade deadline and the All-Star game. So what we're going to have instead is the weekend before the Super Bowl, where it's an off week, the only thing going on is the NFL Pro Bowl, which, again, is the one time in the entire calendar the NBA actually has a better event than the NFL. Like, it's <laughs> the NBA, NFL uh, Pro Bowl is a complete waste of time. So you put that on the weekend before the Super Bowl. Everyone's not really focused on, uh, you know, sports right then. You know, it's kind of an off week. You got something to grab everybody's attention, big stars, everything else going on there. The next week is the Super Bowl. And then as the Super Bowl uh, excitement fades away and people are like, all right, what am I going to watch now? Then you have the excitement of the trade deadline, which launches you in to the, the end of the regular season and leads you into the playoffs. I think it's a great way for the NBA to kind of pull the, the attention back and, and direct people to the end of the season in a competitive way instead of embarrassing themselves when the spotlight is on them with the All-Star game. He's a great solution, Stu, and I don't see why the NBA wouldn't pay you a couple million dollars to come up with ideas like that and more ideas like that. Again, it seems like bargain basement for them. These solutions are right there at Stu's fingertips and my fingertips, and it's just a few dollars away. I I mean, I just I don't understand why they don't do it. All right. Three million in the pocket each for both of us. Now, Dan, your second proposal. All right. Here we go. Now, this is you know, I'm a big DEI guy, right? Love it. (laughs) Oh, really? I didn't know that. No. No, I, I actually don't. Of course I don't. But I'm going to try to use that tack to sort of try to get my next one in here. And this is called Reclaim and Restore Native American History Executive Order. And so oh, okay. we got look, did you know, Stu, that Native Americans are losing representation at a rapid rate? I mean, they they had wow. representation in the NFL and they just got deleted by all these racist bigots out there. That sounds terrible. And so what what we need to get back is the Redskins name. We need to reinstitute this to the Washington Redskins, the commanders. I mean, this is typical white supremacy, Stu, for the white man to delete Native Americans from their place in the NFL, a very high place of prominence, and you replace it with what? Military commanders who, sh- who shove them off the land. Mm. I, Just not right, and I think this ex- executive order fixes that. You get the Redskins back in there, a name that honors uh, Native Americans and their history and their spirit and, and everything else. By so the I way, that is legitimately why the name existed and was created in the first place. We should yes. point that out. That is actually yes. real. Um, however, right, so I'm, I'm joking about the DEI thing to try to yeah. use their <laughs> tactic to get it back in to show them how ridiculous they are, but—, but Everything else is 100% true. I will say, I think that's how this era will be looked back on. I think, like, eventually we'll get to the point where the woke thing to say is, do you believe they got rid of the Redskins and the Indians and so many other Native American names in that period? Wow, that was a hateful period. I like it, Dan. Another $3 million coming your way. All right. Um, I'm going to go back to the NBA for another one kind of related to the All-Star game. If you watched the All-Star game, you watched uh, uh, Damian Lillard 
uh, walk up the court and it kind of unguarded and just pull up from half court and swish two half quarters, just pull up jumpers. I mean, it was ridiculous. <laughs> it, was, it was really fun to watch. And that's why I would like to institute the Lillard Legacy Decree. And this particular proposal will institute a four-point shot that is now uh, active in the NBA if you come to uh, behind the half-court line. And, and I think this would be interesting for a multitude of reasons. A four-point game, obviously, as you're coming down the uh, stretch, would be uh, a fascinating thing to see people trying to get off half-quarters to uh, yeah. get four points. Or if you're down by eight late in the game, it becomes a two-position <laughs> game. You have to start launching half-quarters, <laughs> I think would be really fun to watch. And yeah. secondarily, the uh, Steph Currys, the Dame Lillards of the world, might just kind of kind of walk up and take a couple of those per game. And that would be a really fun, dramatic moment. Uh, you know, again, there's enough scoring already, but honestly, at this point, the scores are going toward 200 anyway. So the Dame Lillard legacy decree. Uh, Dan, what do you think? I absolutely love it. And I don't, did you catch Max Struess won a, a game for the Cleveland Cavaliers last night? Against with the Mavs, a, yeah. With a Lillard, what was it again? <laughs> Lillard Legacy Damian Act. Lillard. It would have been a four-pointer. They would have won by three instead of two in this scenario. Yeah. But, yes, uh, the, leg the Lillard Legacy Decree. L the LLD, the Lillard Legacy Decree. Got it. I love it. I think it's fantastic, and it would only lead to more long bombs, and that's a, that's a good thing. Yeah. I and mean, Caitlin, I, Clark might, Caitlin Clark might make the NBA <laughs> if that thing actually came in. They just put her back there behind half court and just, you know, chuck it up. Fire it away. So all right. I love it. Uh, all all right. right. Dan, your third proposal. I I've got one here and I'm going to lump kind of there's three things that I'm lumping into one here. And this is called the Redonkulous Rules Reversal Act here. And mm. so what we need to do here is reverse some of the most egregious rules in sports. So my first executive order will we'll cover three of them. Uh, first, the dumb NFL rule, the end zone fumble rule, where you, you're, you're heading to the end zone, you fumble it and it goes into the end zone and then it goes out of bounds in the end zone, and you lose the ball. I, I just do not understand this rule. It makes absolutely no sense. Everyone hates it. Everyone hates it. And so we get rid of that rule. I'm open to discussion on on what the alternative is, whether it's a penalty flag or you know you move the ball back or wh whatever you do. Whatever you do, you just don't do what they're currently doing. Especially when the I other team care. doesn't even touch the ball. Like it's they, a, the other, it, yeah, they do absolutely nothing to deserve it. Um, and then they just get it. It's, it's just absolutely ridiculous. So that rule is dumb. Here's another one. The golf disqualification for signing the wrong scorecard. <laughs> that might have been a great rule in 1887. Okay? Yeah. Uh -huh. It's 2024. Mm. Every shot is on like a tracker. It's on GPS. We know exactly how fast the ball was going when they hit it. And if a guy jots down the wrong score, he's disqualified from a tournament and loses any paycheck he would have had, any championship, whatever. Absolutely one of the dumbest rules in sports. So that one will go. And lastly, and I didn't know about this one until today because I saw a news story of a guy in college who uh, lost. This is called the swimming lane disqualification. He wins his uh, championship at this swimming meet. And his teammate comes in second just behind him. And the other, they're so far ahead of the other swimmers, they're still swimming. He's celebrating with his teammate and just jumps over to give him a hug. And he's disqualified because you cannot switch lanes while the other swimmers are still swimming. <laughs> They'd already finished the race. They had already finished the race. He didn't jump in like somebody else's way and block him or anything. It, they were both done in that lane. And so they disqualified him for that. So 
and we can add, look, this executive order is sweeping. We can we can lump in more bad rules into those, but those are the three we'll start with. Yeah, no, that's a great. I think that's a, you got three, you know, A, B, and C here, and I feel like this yeah. is the type of thing we could amend in the future with multiple other. Yeah. I've got some ideas already, uh, so yes, I could see that happening. Um, all right, I love that one. I, all three of those I would approve. Uh, let me give you my last one. This is a little right. quirky, uh, but it's important, I think. NFL. You're watching these games, and what are they trying to do? They're trying to get rid of the kickoff, right? They've been doing everything they can to make sure they've moved it closer to the end zone so that almost every kickoff is a touchback. Uh, they don't want any returns. They don't want any excitement in that play at all because they keep <laughs> saying this is where everyone gets hurt. I mean, okay, I mean, I guess there's some evidence that that happens more often, but they just, like, and people keep saying, like, well, if you're not going to actually, like, allow anything to happen, just get rid of the play. And I, I, I don't want that to happen. I like the kickoff thing. So I have a proposal on this. Well, when you are kicking off, uh, after a touchdown, you, you go to kick off to the other team. If you can kick the ball through the uprights on that kick, it is an extra one point. This oh, I is love that. very, very rare. It seems like it could happen a lot. Now, of course, they're not trying to do it. It actually did happen in the Super Bowl. Uh, Butker actually kicked one off, and it went through. It would result in an extra point uh, conversion. So if you have, if you scored you know, six on the touchdown, you kick the extra point for seven. You could get an extra point for eight if you can kick it. And that's a long kick, very difficult kick, but it is yeah. possible and would prioritize the kicking. I think it would be a lot of fun. I'm calling it the uh, kickoff conversion clause. Uh, it is there for the NFL to take at any time. So uh, there you go. My yeah. last That's my I last proposal. That. I love that. You're going to get some guys that are just like steroiding up their one leg, and then <laughs> you'll have this guy on the roster who's just there to get you extra points after the touchdowns, right? He wouldn't even be the regular kicker. He's just going to launch them. Yeah, and you're, and not, launch going, him into the you're not going to get chips. Uh, you know, in the break right there. No. Like, you're like, oh, this is going to be a fascinating, intriguing play. This guy's kicking at 65 yards. And, like, imagine yeah. if there's a penalty that's applied on the kickoff, it would move it up to, like, midfield, and all of a sudden it would be, like, realistic possibility. Uh, well, and then in, and in a lot of games, too, it's going to – it's a lot of games that are coming down to the wire that, like, are kind of almost pointless because you're like, well, they're down eight or, well, they're down nine or something like that, yeah. right? Because you could – because you could down nine now conceivably come back by getting a touchdown two-point conversion – and the, what is it called? The uh, kickoff conversion clause, if that were to, yeah, right, to go through. Right. So yeah. then you get off, the, you get the kickoff conversion, and then you got it, mm -hmm. and you got it. So yeah, I think, I think that's fantastic. And then you could adjust, right? If if too many guys are doing it, well, we can we can maybe move, move back, back five yards or whatever. Move back five mm -hmm. yards. I mean, there's there's we're 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 willing, we're willing to discuss this, but that's uh, a, the, but that's going to be a, a future edition of a sports right. presidents. Uh, here we are, uh, the sports presidents. Absolutely. So, executive orders uh, all passed. They'll be in in uh, in effect coming soon to a major sport near you. Dan Andrus, Managing Editor for CBN News. I feel like we solved some problems here today. I feel good about oh, it. Oh, we did. We did. We did. And I feel like we're going to be getting calls from all these league offices very soon. Mm -hmm. We CB should, anyway. <laughs> and ridiculous. that means you'll probably get pulled off of the CBN Quick Start podcast. But for millions <laughs> of dollars, maybe it's worth it. Head over and subscribe <laughs> there uh, today. Dan, thanks so much for coming on the program. All right. Thanks for having me. Some developments in the Supreme Court the, uh, will consider Trump's immunity claims in the January 6th trial. This is, you know, in my view, one of the weaker arguments Donald Trump is making about his uh, defense here, basically saying that they can't come after him for anything he did 
uh, and and have, uh, while he was president in any official action, um, and he has immunity for those actions. Now there is some truth to this, but it's, I don't think it's as far-reaching as they're necessarily going for, and I don't expect him to win. What's interesting about this, though, is the fact that the Supreme Court took it, because if the Supreme Court takes this, uh, and they've now frozen this entire case. Remember, there's four cases. You've got uh, the two on January 6th, one in Georgia, which, of course, is the Fonnie Willis thing, which is falling apart, and then the federal one, which is this one. This one now delayed till April 22nd, at least. They will have the uh, arguments then, and then the decision will not come out for a while after that. So I, I, don't, I think this one now basically, it seems like there's no way this is going to be wrapped up before the election. That's a big deal. The other two, of course, are the Bragg one in New York, which is a joke, and the documents one, which he probably will get convicted of, but who knows how long that lasts, and honestly, who cares if he gets convicted of it? I, I frankly don't care about it at all. The fact that he had documents in his house is not at all interesting to me. Um, so that's going on. Uh, a lot of people on the left are saying, hey, they're just trying to delay this to get it past the election. I mean, there might be some truth to that, honestly, and honestly, it might be the right thing to do whether you like the politics of it or not. The country could be in a freaking civil war almost if, if, you know, this goes down. Honestly, on either side. I think if he gets off on all this stuff, the left's going to freak out. If, there, if he gets convicted of it, the right's going to freak out. I don't know what the heck's going to happen. All I know is that it's a, it's a case that kicking the can down the road might actually be a good solution. And let the American people make the decision at the ballot box for now. We'll see if the, how that goes. By the way, they also uh, were doing arguments on the bump stock ruling, which, again, was part of Trump's administration, a, uh, an administrative rule to ban bump stocks, which I believe is totally unconstitutional. Well, it looks like there was a split in the Supreme Court. Could be a close ruling. We will see. Eric Adams is, uh, you know, he's having second thoughts about his own policies. Uh, he is now calling for mo the modification of sanctuary city status. And you might say, and finally, Eric Adams understands what the problem is. Uh, you know, they can't have sanctuary cities anymore. And finally, we've, you know, he understands this. He does not understand it at all. All he's asking for in this clip is for felons and violent criminals to be deported. Because now the law is so dumb that even felons and violent criminals can't be deported. He's asking for just that little tiny improvement, an improvement that you'd have to argue every Basically, every person in America would agree with, right? Like everyone agrees that if you're a violent, if you're a rapist and you come over here illegally, they should be able to deport you. Well, because of the sanctuary city laws, they can't right now. He's at least trying to get that power, which is a step in the right direction, but not an impressive one. And uh, one that shows that the law is a complete joke. And speaking of the law being a complete joke, Blaze News investigative reporter uh, Steve Baker is saying he the FBI wants him to self-surrender Friday in Dallas over his January 6th reporting. We've had Steve on the show many times. He's explained what he was doing there. He was a journalist and he was reporting on this. There were tons of other journalists inside the Capitol at this point at this time, including reporters from The New York Times and other major outlets uh, getting the the footage that, by the way, uh, helped convict some people who actually were guilty. Uh, also helped uh, show that some people who were not uh, so guilty uh, were able to be cleared or at least had their um, reputation restored in some way. Um, the truth uh, came out from all of this footage, including the footage from people like the New York Times, uh, or, or reporters like the New York Times. Um, so uh, reporters that were in there should have no trouble here. They should be covered, and we all should be thankful for the work that they did that day, including the um, you know, outlets we don't like so much here. But they're targeting only Steve Baker. Why? Well, he's 
uh, exposing other issues with the way they actually handled this story, including, uh, you know, uh, the Oath Keepers trial that we've covered on this program. Bottom line is they're targeting Steve, in my view, and it's wrong. And the fact that he's going to have to go and, uh, and, and turn himself in is completely and utterly ridiculous in a country that has a First Amendment. I know a lot of other countries don't have it, but we, I like the fact that we do. And the fact that we are having reporters dragged away that are opponents of this regime in Washington is truly a disturbing and disgusting thing to have to admit about your own country. I have two stories about technology for you, one about a dead technology and one about an explosive new technology that's going to take over the world. Let's start with the dead technology first. Bitcoin. Everyone, Bitcoin's dead, right? We've heard about that 100 million times. Every time the price goes down by like 5 percent, we we get we're treated to another story about how Bitcoin is dead. Bitcoin never seems to get this memo, though. So. To all those who celebrate happy Bitcoin 60,000 day and happy 61,000 day and happy 62,000 day and happy 63,000 day. And after we printed out this headline, happy 64,000 day for Bitcoin, who has now brought back almost all of its losses from uh, the downturn that happened after 2021 and has now soared to right near an all time high still hovering above 60,000, at least as we tape this. And then we have the, the exploding technology that's becoming so successful, taking over the world. Of course, I'm talking about electric cars. And the development today is wonderful. After 10 years of development, Apple abruptly cancels its electric car project. This is a massive story. I can't, like, it's going to be buried in your news today, I think, but it is a massive story. This is happening to tons and tons of these electric car companies and companies that are trying to adopt the electric cars. There's no demand for them. They're they're getting more expensive than they thought they were going to be. They can't master the self-driving technology, which was a big part of Apple's uh, problem here. So they're just bailing on it. Now, they've spent billions of dollars on this in a decade. And they're just bailing on it because they do not see the future as bright as uh, they thought it would be. So the technologies that everyone's telling you are thriving are actually failing. And the ones that they tell you are dead are actually thriving. That's the way the world works these days. Hey, you. Yeah, you. I see you there. I know what you've been doing. You've been asking to see more from Phil Robertson and his family. And you know what? Blaze TV knows about it, and now they have listened. Yes, cooking with Phil, Miss Kay, and the family has always been one of your favorite parts of the Robertson shows, and that's why we brought you more of it. It's time to go from dynasty to dining with a new hit show, Cooking with the Robertsons, available exclusively to Blaze TV subscribers. Show features Phil, Jace, Al, and others showing off their favorite recipes, cooking up a mess of delicious food, and dipping into some godly wisdom at the same time in the way that only the Robertsons can. It turns out family recipes, family values, really do pair well together. So grab yourself a plate and pull up a chair. Just don't forget to say grace before you dig in, please. Come on, you know know the rules here. 
The show is only available if you have a Blaze TV subscription. Don't miss out. BlazeTV.com. Uh, there you can use the code Robertson30 and you'll get 30 bucks off your first year. Uh, but hurry, because the code won't last for long. It's BlazeTV.com. The code is Robertson30. You'll get 30 bucks off your subscription and you can start streaming Cooking with the Robertsons right now. Also, you get access to uh, our, uh, our complete array of comedy bits here from Studios America. They're available as part of your Blaze TV subscription. Also, they're up on YouTube. Go to youtube.com slash America, and there you will find them all right there uh, on the page, uh, including our latest Israel versus Hamas sportscaster bit. Check it out now.